volvieron. Los McNugget Buddies are back at McDonald's. Y ahora tienen un nuevo look, diseñado por el streetwear designer Kerwin Frost. Cada buddy tiene su propio vibe, pero cuando el squad está completo, se ven fire. Complete your buddy squad ordenando the Kerwin Frost Box. Cada caja incluye un buddy, tu elección de una Big Mac o unos Timpy's Chicken McNuggets, papitas medianas y un refresco mediano. Disponible desde el 11 de diciembre. Para pa pa pa. En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you. This time on the hill, we are joined by our guest, Bill McCarran. He is the executive director of the National Press Club here in Washington, and he is here for a specific reason, to talk about Night Out for Austin. This is an event on Thursday, May 2nd, for Austin Tice, an American journalist who has been missing in Syria since 2012. Bill, thanks for joining us on the hill. Good thanks to see for you. having me, Tom. Good All to right, see you. So one of the first ways I became aware of Austin Tice's story was when Jason Rezaian, uh the Washington Post journalist who was held in captivity in Iran, was our guest. And in the course of talking about Jason's book that he had out and his ordeal that he went through, Jason talked about the fact that what he was really kind of throwing a lot of his energies into right now is the story of Austin Tice. And I'll, I'll let you tell people who Austin is sure. and the work that the National Press Club is currently underway. So let's just start at the beginning. Who, who is Austin Tice? Sure. Austin is a seventh-generation Texan. He's a, he was an Eagle Scout in his youth. He was homeschooled, and uh, he went to Georgetown here in Washington, went to the Walsh School. So he's interested in international affairs. And um, during his time then uh, uh, in uh, law school, he left to go to two tours, one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan, as a Marine. So he's a Marine captain. Mm-hmm. Came back to law school. Eventually left law school to go cover the Civil War in Syria as a, as a freelance journalist. And uh, he was watching what was the greatest, uh, most unfortunate humanitarian disaster since World War II. And we were getting no information about that. So Austin thought he could do something about it. He could go into Syria. He could cover it. And so that's, that's admirable. And um, I think that got Jason's attention. It got everybody's attention. And uh, he won some major awards, including a George Polk Award. So Austin uh, was taken in 2012 while covering the war in Syria. So it has been now seven years. Yes. Um, do we know if he's alive? So that's a great question, and it's a question I asked the FBI. Um, well, I met Austin's uh, parents first in 2015, but uh, just last year we, I was with them and I was talking about this I- idea of something we're doing for him, a uh, night out. And um, uh, they said that we, we could do it, but we needed to meet with the FBI. So I had a meeting with uh, the, what's called the Extraterritorial Hostage Unit of the FBI over in the Hoover Building. And I asked the question you just asked, to the, tell me about Austin. Do you think he's alive? And they said, Mr. McCarran, please look around this room. There are agents here. There are analysts. There are financial people. Mm-hmm. Do you really think we could have this meeting if we didn't believe Austin was alive? So they wouldn't put out a this effort into it if they yeah. did not think you yeah. were alive. And uh, uh, the U.S. Special Envoy for Hostage Affairs, when he came to speak at the National Press Club in November at our invitation, said, we have every reason to believe that Austin is alive, which is a very declarative statement by the government. So we, we believe he's alive for a, a host of reasons. I think there are people that know way more about it than 
than I do or and are not at a position to talk. But yes, we believe he's alive and uh, that the government of Syria is holding him, and we just need to uh, put pressure on in the right places and in the policy circles uh, to ensure his safe return. The reason I wanted to establish that right off the top is to talk about what Night Out for Austin is. Um, This is not an effort just to make people feel good about doing something. This actually will help raise awareness and help bring pressure to bear to get him released. Um, the National Press Club is known, you know, for your, your luncheons with famous newsmakers. and um, It's a uh, the premier, I think, organization, it's safe to say that, for freedom of the press, not only here in the United States, but I think around the world for press and journalist freedom. Um, but this is something a little bit different than what the National Press Club is typically known for. How did this begin? What was the genesis of saying that maybe we need to do an event, do something, not just come out with a press release saying free Austin Ties? Yeah, I think the days when you can just make a statement, uh, all those statements are are good as a start, but when you can just have your your plan be to make a statement, those days are over. And so um, during during Jason's case, when he was being held, uh, we tried to do all kinds of off-the-wall things to get attention to his case, including a 24-hour readathon. We put his, his face, his picture on a T-shirt for our 5K run. So everything we were trying to do, we would, in, we would try to find ways to include Jason. And um, when you're, when you're a, a holding a journalist, the last thing that you want as a government uh, is for his name to be known. You want people to forget about that person. You want to be able to do your your bad business uh, outside of uh, people's so, eyeballs. So saying Austin Tice's name. That's right. Actually, runs counter to what what their intentions are. That's right. We're trying to find any any way to to bring this up for more people and have this be part of their life and their experience. And so you have to meet people where they live, and that used to be a, a pretty easy thing. But now it's it's not so easy. So meeting people where they live to me means. Uh, finding them in restaurants where they're having great conversations, the kind of conversations we might have said are kitchen table conversations. Many of those are now happening in public spaces like restaurants. So um, we have, we own and manage restaurants at the press club. So it was a community we have lines into, which is, you know, a start. So uh, we knew we could put up our two restaurants, and I didn't know how many people we could persuade to follow. But I must tell you, Tom, it's, it's been very interesting. So, you know, one restaurant that came on, I'll just mention, Goodlands Barbecue in Springfield, South Carolina, a long way away. At the end of this shift, this owner of Goodlands went to his computer, signed up, wanted to give you know ten percent of his uh, of his revenue to get this American journalist out of prison in Syria. That's fantastic. I would not have been able to find him without this program. He found us, and so it's really encouraging to see what's happening and to see how restaurants and Soon, on Thursday, how diners are becoming involved. I'm going to uh, say this again towards the end of the podcast, but um, this will take place on Thursday, May 2nd. And if you'd like to find a restaurant near you, no matter where you are listening to this, because uh, this is going on across the country. You just heard Bill uh, talk about um, a restaurant that was not in the D.C. metro area. Uh, But you can go to this website, write this down nightoutforaustin.com that's nightoutforaustin 
com. I can tell you um, uh, we went in my family to the website. We plugged in our um, zip code. And although I had thought that I would know all the restaurants that were going to be involved, I was quite surprised that there was actually one within walking distance of our home. Uh, and we actually might go to that one a- as well, too. So the, the, the lineup of different establishments, different price points um, from, you know, some of the most world-renowned restaurants, really, uh, the D.C. has to offer right down to some, some pizza places. That's exactly right. Uh, it, it's really quite a swath that you've cut here and really kind of does unite a lot of people across all areas of the city. Um, so the idea comes out, hey, listen, we run restaurants. People go to restaurants. People talk at restaurants. This would be a good thing. How did you actually get it started, though? Who, who, who do you reach out to at first? So the first uh, restaurants that I was able to rec- uh, successfully recruit, th- there were two that are run by a guy who used to work for me at the press club. He's moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He started a couple of restaurants. I called him up, uh, Josh Funk. He said, sure, Bill, I'll, I'll, I'll join you. Well, he gets it. And, uh, the, you know, it, it sort of grew from there. You look to see who's, um, who's involving uh, activism, you know, in their, in their approach. And so, okay, so Jose Andres' name comes right to the yeah, forefront, right? big name. So we, I contacted Jose Andres and a little assist from Jason Rezaian there. They're, they happen to be friends. Yeah. And I get an email from him, and he said, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I'm right now on the border between Venezuela and Colombia feeding people, which is what he does. But I want to give you my restaurant, Zetenia, for May 2nd. And, you know, when people hear that Jose Andres is involved or this group, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, it's women that own restaurants or, or are the, the – the talent behind a restaurant across the country, that we started snowballing, and, and people wanted to be part of it, and it was just a very attractive thing for people. It's, it's really, really amazing, and it's, it's going to do a lot, not only in you know, raising these funds to help in this effort, but also, I think, maybe even more importantly, the raising the level of conversation about Austin Tice. Yes. Um, because more people will know about it, more people will overhear maybe somebody at the next table who sure. didn't know about it when they happen to go to that restaurant. Sure. You know, places like 1789, I know, are on the list. Uh, just a whole swath of, of different restaurants are going to take part in this on Thursday, May 2nd. Um, and communities, too, if I can say, Tom. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting, when you, when you look at Austin's resume, and we've been over it a couple times, but, uh, you know, Texan, uh, Georgetown, Marine, these sorts of things. We're working with all those groups to help fill up the restaurants around the country. So the Eagle Scouts are committed to going out to dinner in their communities. And the Georgetown students are canvassing Georgetown to try to get restaurants to come on board. And, uh, you know, Texans, oh, my gosh, and Houston's our biggest market. So, you know, outside of D.C. So people are really just, uh, uh, you know, you need the people, too. It's not just the restaurants. You need this to be successful and with you know, the people. I, I never met him. I, I, yeah. I didn't know Austin. Yeah. But, or I, I don't know him. I hope to meet him yeah. at some point. Um, but what struck me about as I was reading about him was this isn't a guy you bump into all the time. Yeah. I mean, a Marine. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, could, that could last you your lifetime yes. just there, Yes, being a United States Marine. But no, he's a law student yes. at Georgetown. Then he's a journalist. Yeah. These are worlds that don't normally cross too often. And here's one young man who 
embodies all of all of that. So just in his singularity touches on so many different worlds and so many different communities, as you say. Yeah, it's amazing the people that know him that are out there. Uh, Tom, I heard from uh, a kid that used to, a guy who was a kid used to play with Austin in, the, in his neighborhood. Uh, and his name is, his first name is Isa, uh, which is Jesus in, in right. um, Arabic. So he, he uh, runs a, a deli now in, uh, in Houston. And he said this, he said, uh, I, I knew about this, uh, but I could think of nothing to do but prayer. And this is the first time I've been able to do something that takes action, and I jumped at the chance, right? So there's so many lives that Austin and his family have touched, and, and it's now like that scene from the wonderful life, Jimmy Stewart, where he's in trouble and people are coming in to help. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just great to see. A lot of people probably know the National Press Club from the years that they have seen programs you know, on C-SPAN. Um, and, and, you know, watched some of those programs. Um, How does the National Press Club in 2019 view its mission now? Has it changed? And, you know, I'll I'll speak to the elephant in the room here. Has it changed in the era of the Donald Trump presidency where the president has again and again said that the media is the enemy of the people? Well, it's a great question. I mean, we think the core mission is still the same. We, we say world's leading professional organization for journalists, and so we're still committed to that. Uh, you'll notice if you go to the press club, we used to be the last place in the world that you could walk in. Uh, we now have security gates. Um, some people were really unhappy about that move, but it, it, it has become necessary because of the it speaks rhetoric. speaks to the reality yeah. of the time. I mean, yeah. you don't have to go very far from here over to Annapolis. Yeah. To see exactly. what happened at the Gazette. Exactly. No, it, it, it's it's the world we're in, and um, you know there is for uh, some some of it's good and some of it's challenging. There's a lot more attention on um, the on press and on the problems that they that they face and the things that they encounter. You know, you just look at this sweep of the last six or eight months. Uh, press freedom used to be a pretty lonely patch. It might be you and I talking about it, you right. know, in a, at a cocktail party, and that's about it. Uh, it's become almost a consumer uh, issue now where, where you have a Super Bowl ad about press freedom issues and the, and the dangers that the press uh, face. And you have at the, when, the, when the ball dropped in uh, Times Square for New Year's, they had a press freedom group responsible for that. Um, so there's, there's just uh, in everything that you look at, in all the iconic moments in American life, we're now really Time Magazine Man of the Year is, is journalists at risk, right? It's really becoming something that everyone is paying attention to because we need it for our democracy. And do you see it here in the United States is, you know, obviously, you know, being Americans, you know, we have this yeah. tendency to kind of think what we do here kind of, you know, affects the entire world. But, you know, when I look at it sometimes, you know, if you're a journalist in the Philippines. Yes. Or if you're a journalist, you know, in South America uh, dealing with a dictator who will not leave office. Um, you look to America and you look to the First Amendment. Yeah. And that does have an impact on journalists around the world. So what happens here in the United States does matter, and we cannot take it for granted yeah. that the First Amendment, as it was written, will always be treated with the same reverence we as journalists hold it. Because... Um, there are people out there who do not feel that the role of the press is vital or the role of journalists is vital. It's, it's, you know, 
something we shouldn't take for granted. It's it's absolutely right. It's um it's an essential ingredient to uh, uh you know to a democracy that citizens need to be informed, and it's the press's job to do that. And uh, you know, uh, I hear from journalists though on the other side of this that they're thanked on the streets sometimes now, which didn't used to happen that often, yeah, right? I've had the odd yeah. uh, occasion where yeah. that's happened to me. Yeah, well. so I think, I think people I are realizing. Know how to react yeah, right. When it's, it, when it happens. You don't want to be thanked. You just uh, want it. But, but it's, um, uh, there, it is interesting. We, we do have a, a leadership position in this in the world. Uh, people are looking to us as, as to how we should be behaving. Leaders are looking to see what's the appropriate uh, role between a, a leader and, and the press. And so, uh, yep, we need to do more than we have ever done before to show the right right way. And I think a lot of organizations, uh, some a lot of shows are really doing that. I think your show does that. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and I think we are at a time right now where I think journalists themselves, serious journalists, yeah, um, understand that we are in a period of time right now that um, is historic. Yes. And uh, much the same way the Watergate generation of journalists look back on their time and stood and delivered, there are journalists of this current era right now, serious journalists, that need to stand and deliver because the stakes are so high right now. Absolutely. Well said. And and um, on this press freedom stuff, we talked a little bit about Jason, but I think there was a great – Jason wrote a great story about Austin and about Night Out in, the, in the Post. He did. So what is really heartening to see is that when people have been through the, the the tough part on this and they come back, they then step up and work and help others. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Well, and one of the things I you know I loved about Jason's work, and I told him this, and he was surprised when I said it to him, is that I had read his stuff before yeah. he got captured. Yeah. And what I thought was neat about it was that he was somebody who wasn't just writing about the Iranian government before he got captured, he would write about food and he yes. would write about culture yes. and he made the place alive. And knowing that I learned that about Jason, I went and I did go find some Austin Tice yes. uh, writings and it's the same yeah. thing. You don't know Austin Tice. It's very easy to get to know him because all you have to do is look at his work. Yes. Um, and this is going to be a big event. Um, it is called Night Out for Austin. This is going to be a nationwide effort at restaurants across this country to raise awareness and raise funds yes. uh, to bring Austin Tice home. He is an American journalist, the only American journalist That's right. being held right now. Uh, he has been in Syria since 2012. This is going to take place on Thursday, May 2nd. Here's the website again. Go to it. You'll be glad you did nightoutforaustin.com that is nightoutforaustin.com I think we covered a lot of it though we did thank you you did a great job Tom. well we thank you for uh, spearheading uh, this effort it is it is really important and you know I often say that we live in a time right now where a lot of people are just very frustrated about things on the left and on the right yes of course and even people in the middle because right. they're frustrated about the left and the right yes and you know, the one way if you need to deal with any kinds of uh, pent-up energy or frustration is just to go do something. That's right. And this is something you can do. Yes. Uh, you can get out Thursday, May 2nd, go to one of these restaurants, go to the website, nightoutforaustin.com, find one of these restaurants, have a good meal, uh, talk about 
you know, press freedom. It would be great if they could maybe put a couple of these tables and people together. Yes. And they can all have these conversations. But this is a really important effort. And uh, we thank you for, uh, for joining us today on the podcast to uh, talk about it. Really happy to do it. Thanks, Tom. All right. Uh, our guest has been uh, Bill McCarran. He's the executive director of the National Press Club here in Washington, talking about Night Out for Austin Thursday, May 2nd. That'll do it for this time. You've been listening to On the Hill Podcast. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We thank you for joining us this time. We'll see you next time on The Hill. En The Home Depot, puedes encontrar soluciones de almacenamiento que se adapten a tus necesidades, como estantes industriales Husky, con una capacidad de carga de hasta 2,500 libras por estante. Así que, sí, puedes soportar el peso de tus pesas, herramientas, cajas con todos tus recuerdos y más. Porque el sistema de almacenamiento adecuado debe ajustarse a lo que tú necesitas. Ahorra más con hasta 25% menos en almacenaje seleccionado por Internet. The Home Depot. Haces más. Logras más.